Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. LMFM Podcasts, brought to you with Cark McCross Credit Union, where dreaming of warmer climates becomes a reality with a Cark McCross Credit Union holiday loan. O'Neill Street, Cark McCross, or CarkMcCrossCU.ie. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now, michael at lmfm.ie. Tuesday morning, the 7th of May. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The government is committed to, to delivering high-speed broadband services to all premises in the country. Today, the Cabinet is expected to agree to the rollout of the National Broadband Plan. But over 7 in 10 premises currently have access to high-speed broadband from commercial operators. There's approximately 540 premises that don't because operators won't provide high-speed internet. The National Broadband Plan will be very good news for those people because it promises high-speed broadband at a minimum speed of 30 megabits per second download. But the cost of the project is expected to be six times more than was originally estimated, increasing from €500 million euro to a bill that will now reach €3 billion. Euro. Timmy Dooley is uh, Fianna Fáil TD and is party's spokesperson on communications and he joins us now. And uh, a very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us. Uh, there's uh, two sides to this story, the urgent need for people to get this crucial service in this modern world that we live in and then there's the question of value for money. Is it value for money at 3 billion euro do you think? Good morning Michael well it's very difficult to establish whether it is or whether it isn't because we haven't seen a competitive tendering process there was just one bidder uh, that submitted a, a final bid so we have nothing really to measure it against um, as you said the original contribution from the taxpayer was estimated at half a billion that now appears to be closer to three billion. That's a staggering increase and one which I think the government will be in a difficulty with in trying to explain that to the Irish people. Now, you're right in the sense that there's two aspects to this. There's the 542,000 premises out there, uh, farms, homes, businesses who are waiting for this. And quite frankly, many of them are saying, well, you know, it's not so much about the upfront cost, it's about what we would be deprived if we don't have it. And I can understand their need. For them, the most important thing is to get a rapid rollout of high-speed broadband. 
Now, back in 2016, Fine Gael told us, uh, and don't, don't forget, they were in government then, so they should have known the timelines. They said mm. that high-speed broadband would be delivered to every home in the country within four years. Three years later, we're getting this announcement. So three years have gone. We're, we're really uh, no closer to the completion of the project because my understanding is that the government today are not going to tell us the timeline for the signing of the contract with this remaining bidder. They're not, so therefore, if they can't tell us when the contract is signed, they're not going to be able to tell us when the work begins. The big issue for, for people that are waiting is how quickly or how soon are we going to have broadband? And that really is a big issue for the government to communicate that message today. And then you're right, there's, mm. there's the other cohort of people in Ireland who have broadband, who are paying their taxes, and they're saying, is this the best way to do it? Um, is this uh, is this the safest way? Is there a guarantee that this company that doesn't really have a track record um, in rolling out high-speed broadband in infrastructure generally, it's mm. just a private investment fund based in, 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 in Boston that has some, uh, some experience in, in other countries, but nothing of this scale. Will they have the capacity to deliver uh, a rapid rollout of high-speed broadband? And I remain to be convinced that this company has the capacity to do it. Don't forget when this first was mooted, um, the country was broken into two areas uh, and there were effectively two job lots offered to the marketplace. So the expectation was that two different companies would have won each of those uh, allocations. So therefore, the more the more companies doing the work, the quicker it would be rolled out. Um, that, that's, not, that's not happening now. Mm. It's just one company has won the two lots so I'd be really interested to, to know and understand from the government today how quickly, um, really how quickly will people see uh, their broadband um, to, to their homes. Regardless it, of where they are or how remote the area they live in is, because €3 billion Euro is an awful lot of money and an awful lot of other things could be done if it was decided not to spend €3 billion Euro on this. I, I think it's estimated that it works out at about €40,000 per household uh, in terms of bringing the service to them. What happens elsewhere in some of uh, the wealthier countries uh, in Europe, whether it's uh, Germany, France or, or Denmark? Uh, does every single person living on every hill in Boreen have high-speed broadband? Well, each country across Europe, depending on its wealth uh, and its, its access to, to, to funds, are, are attempting to roll out broadband to the vast majority of the country. And there are different options. I mean, in some cases, and I, I, I assume that will be the case in the announcement today, there are some houses that are so remote, it doesn't make any sense to string uh, a fibre optic cable to them. But there are good options for where, where there's a, a very sparsely populated area. It is possible to do what's referred to as a fixed wireless connection. And that works well in, in areas of very low population. But where you have densities above... 100 to 150 households, mm. uh, those kind of solutions um, don't really work and, and, and don't have the resilience to cover future developments. So it is right that we would roll out considerable amounts of fibre right throughout the country for the long-term needs of the state because I think it's widely accepted now, no different to the case of electricity at the, at, you know, when it was first rolled out. Uh, if, you, if you read the annals of history, you'll realise that there was you know, just one bulb in, in, in a house Perhaps a sacred heart lamp, um, and and that and that was really the 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 extent of which mm. 
electricity was used for. Well, then all the devices came along thereafter, whether it be entertainment devices, fridges, freezers, um, electric cooking, electric uh, hobs, all, all of the technology that flowed from, from electricity is very different from what would have been expected back then. So, so you're saying that maybe it's not right to provide broadband to somebody who's living on the edge of a, a cliff, uh, but other people no, who are in very remote areas. Now what I'm saying is that the person living on the edge of the cliff is entitled to broadband, but it doesn't have to have a fibre cable you know, mm. connected from the village, which is four miles away. For that, for just that one home, there, there, there are solutions there that can be delivered and will provide high-speed access to the internet. But for the clusters of, of the rural uh, population, uh, it's my view that the best option is to roll out um, fibre cables to, the, to, those, to those homes. Mm. I have questions about the, um, the costs. I have questions because there's nothing to measure it against. And my concern is that whilst the government are, are putting up so much money, mm. um, it, there's no clarity as to what investment is being put in by this by this bidder. Well, I, I don't and know I, what uh, civil servants are measuring it against, but the Department of Public Expenditure has uh, not been behind the door and saying it doesn't believe that this is no, valuable. because money. unlike, you see, Michael, I mean, probably you've had discussions about the investment in the children's hospital and mm. the spiralling costs there. Everybody accepted at the beginning there's a need for a children's hospital, absolutely. Why have the costs filed out of control? Even though they have, we still must go ahead with it. But at least at the end of that project, the state will own the children's hospital. This network, which will be built at a, a cost of $3 billion to the taxpayer, will be owned by this private investment firm out of Boston, mm. who at the end of the period of 25 years can sell the company with a, you know, for, 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 for very significant returns whereas the risk has been carried all the way by the state. And then there's also the question about whether the man who's living on the edge of a a cliff or the woman who's living in a a small village uh, will want this service. Will they take up on it? Well, that's that's always an issue. Um, But that shouldn't be be a reason not to invest in infrastructure. Uh, It it is the case that there will be a a relatively slow take-up at the start, but as time goes on, there will be a greater usage of the network as demands change and as, as, as more services are delivered uh, online. And I, I go back to the mm. issue of the, the rollout of electricity. There are some people who continue to use uh, a candle and a tilly lamp for years after the connections uh, of electricity. But as lifestyle changed, as more um, white goods emerged and as more uh, opportunities emerged to use electricity, um, there's... I, 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 I would doubt there's scarcely more than a handful of houses in this country who are not connected to the um, the electric grid and use significant amounts of electricity. Are you concerned about the timing of uh, this? Uh, I think uh, if uh, people who are without broadband will be delighted to think that it's finally on its way, local election candidates and European election candidates may be delighted that the question is going away. Oh, no, there's no doubt. I've been out canvassing with, with councillors uh, and, and, and council candidates in my area in the rural parts and, and it is a huge issue and that's, that's the same right throughout rural Ireland and by the way this, this broadband issue is often referred to as just being rural Ireland it's, it's, it's not the case because there are pockets of population I'm sure in your area close to the main urban centres who don't have broadband I talk to people in Dublin and Wicklow that are within 
you know, a, a, a short commute of, the, of Dublin city centre, uh, and 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 they don't have access to high-speed broadband be just just because of the topography uh, of the areas. Yes, there's no doubt that the government um, are attempting to feed the frenzy uh, coming from their, their 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 candidates. And if they were being truly, I, I think, upfront with the Irish people today, uh, or or perhaps they would have waited until such time as they can confirm the date at which the contract will be signed by the contractor. Because that's the point where the irrevocable decision is taken, the day that you put the ink on the page to begin the work. Um, so today is a step towards that. It's an important step towards it, but it's not the final step. And that's why I think it's a little bit premature and probably aimed more at trying to mollify the concerns uh, of the council candidates who have been kicking and screaming uh, based on what they're hearing from the electorate. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us as always. Timmy Dooley, TD, Fianna Falls spokesperson on communications. Now, on Saturday, gangland violence was uh, the reason for around 500 people gathering together in Drogheda as Drogheda stood together uh, against violence, uh, saying that uh, enough is enough and that Drogheda says no. Oh, absolutely, yeah. This has gone on for far too long. The people of Drogheda are living in fear. It's ridiculous. We need more police on the streets. Yeah, I'm here for the prep, for the thing, so I could try and stop this from going on, because it is a disgrace. It should stop it, and it shouldn't have even started. I'm here today to support the uh, the protest against violence in Drogheda, because this is a it's an amazing town, and it's got great culture, and what we see is that this is, I suppose, the violence against Roger is ruining our, you know, it's the day, the potential to ruin our reputation and to make people feel unsafe. And so, you know, just to stand up as people together and, and just say, you know. Hi, Michael. Uh, look, I'm here and I know some other colleagues from Mead are here as well. It's a really worrying situation in East Mead and in Drawden in particular. I've met people, Michael, and the fear is absolutely incredible in some areas. I've never seen anything like it before in my life. It needs Gardaí, it needs experienced Gardaí too, Michael. Uh, but it also needs people to have the confidence to report anything they see, either to the Gardaí 999 or to Crime Stoppers. And we really got to get that message out there. That people need to be confident enough to report. Look, Michael, I'm here to stand with the people of Drogheda against the criminals and thugs that are blighting our town. It's a great town. Drogheda is our town. And we're not going to let them stop us live our lives. It's that simple. And we will support the Gardaí, but we need the minister and the government to do the same. It's very, very important that we gather here today because we are saying publicly to people all over Ireland that the values of the people of Drogheda, justice, the rule of law, community, decency, are the values that exist in this town and not the values of violence, intimidation and terror. And that's what we are standing up for here today. The second part we have to do is we have to get the government on board. We've been abandoned here for the last couple of months. For too long. Absolutely abandoned. And the fault lies squarely with Minister Charlie Flanagan. Because, as was said earlier on, we should have had the 25 guards earlier on. The challenge now for him and the government is, are they going to fully resource on Garda Corner? Because they have to. The second thing that has to be done is, all of the NGO organisations in the town TUSA, the HSE, they are going to play a role in solving this problem and they can't be ignored. The state has to stand up and address this issue. The other thing that has to be done is the anti-gang legislation must be reviewed because if it isn't working, it must be fixed. There are people in this town who are suffering, who are victims 
and they don't feel that they've got justice. In fact, they feel they've been abandoned. I think that people enjoy it. Enough is enough. Uh, I think that you can't live anymore. I think it's about time that Charlie Flanagan and Drew Howe has got to whip themselves at the moment. Is The people in Jordan are terrified. And, look, and you see today, a big crowd turning out today. Is, I think it's time now. Tell me next month, given 25 more guards. It's now the people of Jordan needs the guards. And that's why I'm here supporting the people of Jordan. Walking down the town, walking to your local street, you know that you are in fear. You know, people have been shot in broad daylight. It's just unbelievable. People are fearful for their children. They're, they're afraid to let their children out to play in areas of this town. I'm delighted to be here, and I can see a lot of people here. And actually, what's really scary for me, and says a, an awful lot, they're all hiding in there underneath the arches there. They're nearly afraid to come out here today, to stand up for what's going on here in the town. And that, to me, is shocking. It's shocking to see that. I think people need to get brave, get brave, uh, and come out. This is a peaceful protest. And let, let's not let these people rule our town. This town belongs to the people and nobody else. Dublin 1 has 15 Garda youth diversion workers at this moment. That's what helps the young people stay out of trouble. They just need a positive influence. They do not need to be judged. We should stop judging each other and start loving each other. We should be working together in a republic. Stop judging each other. Start loving each other. I think that was a very important occasion. It was extremely well attended. The speeches are very clear. The message is very clear to two parties. One, to the government, obviously, in terms of the population's concerns, and also to the people who commit the crimes and the criminals, the drug barons out there. So I think it's a useful, productive outcome. And people came and stood, and they were seen to stand here. So I think that's important for democracy. I have always been proud of my town, of the claret and the blue, of Drogheda, of Drogheda's people, but I have never been more proud than I am at this very second in time to see all of you out there taking a stand against violence. <laughs> Drogheda stands together against violence wasn't my brainchild. The credit goes solely to Paddy McQuillan, who's standing here beside me. When the news broke of the gunfire in Harriman's Gardens, Paddy and I, we were out together at the time, and he said to me, we have to do something to stop this. We have to ask the people of Drogheda to stand together in solidarity. We have to call out enough is enough. I was going around the doors and people, people were asking me, saying to me the same thing, that somebody needs to do something. And I was home and I was talking to my wife and I said, people are saying that somebody needs to do something. And my wife said to me, well, you are somebody. You do something. And this is what I can do. I can't eradicate the crime, but I can get people together and we can shout loud enough that maybe the minister might listen to us. The commissioner uh, came out and said he will solve this problem. And the people of Rada will be looking up. And we want to see answers. The Claret and the Blue posters are by Deirdre. The Facebook page. <laughs> well, who knew that social media could be that useful? People all over Ireland are aware of our stand today. There are organisations in other towns and cities across Ireland where the community groups are coming together and they're saying, we're going to do what Drada are doing. We're going to stand up and we're going to say... Enough is enough too. My phone has been hopping and ringing for days. To know that the eyes of the country are on you is one thing. 
but to realise the eyes of the world are watching you. They're not watching these politicians, they're watching you. Messages from Chicago, go Drogheda. I have it from a very reliable source that our town and the stand we are taking today made the news in Shanghai, China yesterday. And that's something to be proud of. A uh, selection of uh, politicians and uh, members of uh, the public speaking to me on Saturday in Drogheda, along with Alice Duff and Paddy McQuillan, the organisers of uh, the Drogheda Stands Together Against Violence demonstration. Michael Reed on LMFM. The Mental Health Commission has published an inspection report into the Department of Psychiatry in Drogheda. It found uh, that there were nine compliances rated as excellent and there was an impressive list of recently developed quality initiatives. But the Commission says compliance with regulations, rules and codes of practice has decreased and quite significantly over a couple of years. Areas such as how the institution carries out searches have not been complied with to the extent that it is now posing a high risk. A high risk because of a lack of privacy in how the administration deals with medicines. Staffing levels are at such a short level that it poses is a high risk as well. Other problems including maintenance of records, register of residents, uh, the use of physical restraint and how the centre admits, transfers and discharges patients all causing high risk in Drogheda. Let's talk about this with John Farley who's uh, the Chief Executive of the Mental Health Commission. Good morning to you John. Good morning. And thanks for joining us. Uh, this is a, a busy institution and indeed one that provides a vital service to a lot of vulnerable people, 46 patients, is it? Yeah, it's a 46-bedded uh, purpose-built unit, acute mental health unit. Okay, and the areas uh, that you found uh, failing in compliance uh, would undoubtedly be of concern to you. Perhaps you could talk us uh, through some of uh, those areas. Okay, well, I suppose, um, I, I suppose, first of all, just to say that it is a 46-bed purpose-built acute mental health unit. And I think the people of Drogheda and the people who brought this through in the HSE, um, they deserve credit for that because there's a lot of places in the country who don't have units like this. So there's people in other parts of the country when they're admitted and when they're unwell, uh, they're not brought into fit-for-purpose units. And this physically is a fit-for-purpose unit, except for one aspect where the garden is overlooked by some houses, which the HSC have committed to fixing. But I really don't think it should be lost on people that mm. if you think back at some of the old Victorian units uh, that used to surround the various towns, if you think up in Drogheda and Dundalk, and now you have this fit-for-purpose unit in the area. So I really wanted to emphasise that. Uh, just to say, in terms of the overall compliance has decreased, um, this generally happens also when you move from one unit to the other because the custom and practices were all designed around a, an old physical building. Mm. Um, and very often when you move into a new building, if you think of moving into a new house, uh, things can take a while uh, to get right. That said, we wouldn't be happy with some of the issues. So when we're looking at it, the issues that we're finding, they're very, very solvable. Um, like in terms of the idea of uh, people being searched, but it's only when something is found like contraband that the search is noted. This isn't acceptable because obviously no person wants to be searched. It's an impingement on their you know, human rights and that there has to be processes around this. Now, you're allowed in law to do it, but there has to be strong processes uh, around it. I suppose the thing that we were most worried about was the 
um, the reoccurrence in issues around the ordering and prescribing and storing of medications. Mm. Because medications for mental health problems, um, you know, they create a lot of good, they've helped a lot of people, but they need to be managed very, very strictly. And especially in an acute unit where you can imagine a lot of people go in, they're not well, and really the medication is to the forefront of helping them. Um, in the, the area of physical restraint too, the centre was found to have a high risk rating of non-compliance. Now just to advise your listeners, there are, it, like critical is really the one, the really, really highest one. So it's not at that critical level. But again, when it comes to human rights, we need to make sure things are absolutely um, perfect because one person's human rights being impinged upon is not acceptable to the Commission. Okay, and I would imagine that the practice is uh, to resist uh, using physical restraint if it is at all possible, but when necessary there are rules and regulations in terms of how that happens. Uh, what What's the problem in Drogheda? So, the problem is documentation. So, a lot of people think documentation red tape, but let's be absolutely clear about this. The law is very, very clear. It says people must be treated in the least restrictive manner. That's the law that's been set out by the Oireachtas and that we're required to monitor. In terms of physical restraint, the issue is is that the reason it wasn't documented in clinical files, and in two cases, the registered medical professional did not complete a medical examination within three hours of an episode. And these are the rules that we set down, and they're very stringent. So if you can imagine if you or I were physically restrained or any of our family mm. or anyone out there, you know, we, we have rights. We have our, you know, we have our civil rights, we have our constitutional rights, and they absolutely must be vindicated. So I suppose what we're saying is, is that Drogheda needs to tighten up on this. I wouldn't give any, well, like to give anyone the impression that uh, Drogheda is a place of fear and restraint, because actually, in terms of a traje- trajectory of hope, um, Drogheda is on the right pathway. Uh, they're hovering around kind of 66% compliance, but with the new building and with the effort that they are putting mm. in, I really think this centre has has a really good chance, you know, to, to lead the way. But that said, people need to wake up to this old-fashioned cultures of, because it's an institution, um, somehow, you know, things will be all right and we're okay. It's not. When people's rights are being impinged upon, absolutely everyone, including the medical people, mm. need to make sure that everything, every uh, I is dotted and T crossed. Uh, and that rate of uh, 66% compliance uh, is a drop from what was 77%. Uh, as you say, you believe uh, that's because of how uh, the caregivers moved to this new purpose-built building. But uh, in terms of restraint, what what are you concerned about? Is, is it just documentation? Because part of what seems to be missing from the documentation is the reason why somebody has yeah. been restrained. Uh, are you concerned that, that the patients have not been told themselves or is it just that it hasn't been documented? No, it hasn't been documented and indeed the, the document doesn't evidence to us that the re- a representative was informed and indeed the patient well, it was discussed with them in terms of the use of physical restraint. So you can imagine the least restrictive measures then when that occurs, you need to be able to sit down with the person because it's all about a therapeutic relationship. The nurses, the doctors, everyone that's in the service, it's all about a therapeutic relationship. So when something like this happens, very quickly you have to try and establish the therapeutic relationship, which isn't hard, which, sorry, which can be hard. Yes, so that is an issue as well. But I suppose I I really do, I I do want to emphasise that, you know, Drogheda had a number of issues in the old buildings which they've addressed. 
Um, so every patient had an individual care plan. Uh, there, there was issues around seclusion, which have now ceased. So they're, they're obeying the rules around um, seclusion, where that's where patients are, are locked away. So they've really improved that. They've really improved their risk management and the premises. Has that so, compromised privacy? Yeah, the privacy, the main issue around privacy is that uh, the idea of the searching and also the houses overlooking the garden. But if you think about the old units where there used to be lots of people in these nightingale wards, mm. now in this unit there's single rooms, there's showers, there's much more. But I suppose for me it's this culture in I don't know whether it's just in Ireland or in the services of this idea of how do we eliminate the culture of the institution and bring it to the culture of the individual. And what we're going to do is make sure to, you know, we want to work with Drogheda on this pathway, but absolutely make sure that there's a transparency around what's happening. And that's the reason for the reports. All right. Well, we uh, hope that there will be further uh, uh, improvements in time to come. Uh, we leave it there for the moment, though. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us. John Farley, Chief Executive of uh, the Mental Health Commission. Michael Reed on LMFM. On the 24th of May, you'll be asked to vote in the local and European elections as well as a referendum on divorce. Locally in the European elections, you have 17 candidates to choose from and we're hoping to speak with each of the 17 candidates before polling day. And we will continue with our series of interviews today with Cyril Brennan, who's the People Before Profit candidate in the Midlands North West constituency, which is our local constituency, and he's on the line. And a very good morning to you, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, today. Perhaps uh, you'd begin by telling us why you've uh, decided to put your name forward and what you would hope to achieve if you were elected to the European Parliament. Good morning, Megan. Thanks for having me on. appreciate it. Um, yeah, I put my name forward because People for Profit were a growing movement and we're starting to grow outside of the urban areas that I suppose we've become renowned for and um, I'm based in Ballyshannon and Donegal and I felt that our communities and our towns have been let down by successive governments and I feel that uh, we needed a representation uh, in Europe so that we could put forward our proposals and our ideas forward not only in the local governments but also in the European governments as well. Okay, and if elected, uh, what would you hope to achieve from the European Parliament for people locally? Yeah, well, the European Parliament is very difficult to achieve anything because there's different directives and stuff and you've got to work with different groups. And we're willing to work with other united left groups to try and bring forward a, a People's Europe, a Workers' Europe, that puts forward ideas like, like uh, changes to the working time directive to bring about shorter working weeks to try and bring in bank holidays as well. And also to challenge the corporate Europe that we have and the, the 25,000 lobbyists that lobby Europe every day. Um, Europe has actually more lobbyists than um, Washington has. So we want to try and get people in there so we can lobby on behalf of the people. Okay. Uh, you have uh, cited healthcare as one of your big issues. Uh, can that be uh, affected uh, from Strasbourg or Brussels? Well, healthcare and, and, and housing is, is the two main issues, I think, at the minute, and it's always coming up at the doors at local and European elections, and it just goes to show the failure of the national government to address those issues. Now, there is plans in place, like Sponsor Care, to bring about a universal healthcare system, but the government's very, been very slow and lacklustrous in investing it and bringing it about so we can put the pressure on and keep the pressure on from Strasbourg and basically one of the UN uh, sustainable goals is for healthcare so that's uh, number that's goal number three so we'll be pushing to make sure that the sustainable goals are achieved by Ireland in Strasbourg and healthcare is one of those issues that we can push in, in, in the EU chambers. Mm-hmm. But if you take something like uh, the Slunge Care Report and its recommendations uh, they were reached on a cross-party and all-party basis in fact. 
Yeah, they were, and it's it's it starts it starts at a very good place. Like what's happening in Ireland basically is that people are seeking emergency medicine first. So we're actually being admitted into A and E first when we when we should be going to see the GP first and getting the early diagnosis. And basically, because of the the lack of investment in primary care and 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 the lack of GPs that we have in our community, people have no alternative but to appear in the A and E's first. And that's seeing a trolley crisis and it's seeing yeah. our hospitals overcrowded. And we're not actually getting um, people diagnosed at the source at the earliest possible time to try and treat the early so basically Sancho Care recognised that and it, 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 it was for investing in primary care facilities but it's been very slow the government's been very slow to, to mm. fund it and you know if, if they did fund it the plan's in place it'll take 10 years but it is a stepping stone to move towards universal health care there is things in it we don't agree with but at least at the very minimum it recognises that it's for universal health care but I suppose uh, the funding is uh, the problem uh, I think the principle is one that you'd have to assume everybody agrees on given that it has all party consensus uh, but uh, if you're singing off the same hymn sheet uh, and uh, nobody has the big idea on how to fund it, uh, what next? Uh, because you're talking about a, a lot of money. I mean, we're talking today about uh, the concern that people have about investing €3 billion Euro in broadband. Uh, this is uh, a minimum of €4 billion, Euro, isn't it? It's, I think the logic here is €6 billion over over 10 years. So, like, it's not that it's not that much when you when you take it out. No, it's six hundred million over every year over ten years. So it's not that much really when you take it over the ten years of the plan. Six hundred million each time because they they put a billion euro into healthcare this year, um, in this in this year's budget, and I don't know what's going to come in next year's budget. So six hundred million euro to invest in it every year. It's not a lot of money to get it across the line. Um, but if they don't go down the route and if they don't invest it, then they're going to have to start looking at putting more beds back in hospitals and increasing bed capacity because you can't continue to have people. Um, lying on trolleys or in corridors or, or sitting about because it's, it's, it's something you see in third world countries what's going mm. on in our hospitals at the minute so unless they do start investing in Slanchic care the alternative is actually a lot more expensive so I don't really know what they're going to what they're going to do in that aspect, you know. So so it's not that much over the ten year plan, six hundred million. But the government is dragging their heels because they have got um, vested interest in private insurance companies, and they have said that um, they they're not willing to cut the revenue that the private insurance company suffer. And that's one of the staple stones in Santa Care is that it it was to remove the private um, element from our public hospitals. And if that's not going to happen, then the Santa Care um, report is doomed to fail. Unfortunately. Okay. Well, the other issue you have is housing, and I suppose. Uh, there's one question that uh, applies uh, to both issues uh, in terms of what can be done from the European Parliament. Uh, can you influence uh, the thinking of national government uh, as an MEP? Well, see, poverty is on the rise all over Europe. So Europe has to address the, the, the poverty and that that's happening. Homelessness isn't just... An, it, 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 unfortunately, it's not just an Irish problem. If you look at other European countries, homelessness is on the rise as well all across the EU. So they're going to have to look at the policies that's in place and, and the austerity measures that's been put imposed on people because of the legs of the national debt and the restrictions that we have um, put on us by the, the, the fiscal space. We can't spend um, money. like We, can, we, need, to, we need to loosen the, the, the fiscal space and make sure that we can get the money that we can invest in our public services such as health and housing. And until we do that, it's going to be very difficult for any national government to address those problems until we can actually start spending money on the services outside of the fiscal space. But how do you influence policy as a, an MEP? Through, through directives. Influencers are directive. Most of the um, budgets that are put forward um, now in Ireland are actually signed off by the 27 finance ministers 
um, at a European level before the Irish uh, Parliament even gets to see them. So we need to have more democracy and more sovereignty over our own budgets and we can push that agenda at the EU level and tell them that we want more sovereignty when it comes to um, spending our budgets. Mm. And just to explain to us what type of a directive would be put in place that would help uh, to tackle the housing crisis? Well, I suppose it depends on... on, on what, what we could put forward, like you could put directive forward that, that, that like could indirectly help housing, like how to eradicate poverty across Europe and also different kind of um, policies as well, directives to try and see to influence um, government to build public houses on public land. So, so there is directives that can be taken place rather than going down this route of um, privatisation and, and, and hoping that the private sector is going to take us out of this housing crisis. Well, mm. obviously they can't. It's been tried too, too, too many times. So hopefully Europe, you know, Europe's in a lot of trouble at the minute. There's a lot of um, far-right groups moving and hopefully the EU can see that and hopefully realise that maybe they need to take more action when it comes to issues around poverty and housing. So you want more decisions made for us in Europe? No, we want more control over our decisions. Most of the problems is that we don't have, we can't make our own decisions that have been made in Europe for us, but we can put the pressure at an EU level to allow us to take control. Mm. But if you want to introduce directives and direct the sovereign Irish government, surely that means giving more power to Europe? Yeah, I see what you mean. Like It's a bit of a backward way of looking at it, but it, 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 you can... Um, influence the way the Irish governments work by um, by directives but in saying that you need to make sure that the money is being spent and that the government in place are going to spend the money on things like housing and healthcare mm. But you know the government is elected by the people uh, and is implementing the will of uh, the people, surely the place to fight these arguments is in a general election yeah, uh, yeah, but you can you can still put the um, you can still put it forward at an EU level and, and and raise the issues like through the national housing homeless coalition and through the likes of the raise the roof campaigns and support those campaigns and get out into the street and take action. I don't know if it's the will of the people that the government represent all the time. Sometimes I think we're just locked in 1916 civil war politics and people go out and just vote for the parties because that's that's the way they've always voted. And I don't think that um, people uh, genuinely genuinely want to see homeless people on the street or people waiting on trolleys. I don't think that's the will of the people at all. No, uh, I'm sure it's not. Uh, but uh, before you leave us, because our, our time is running out, uh, perhaps uh, you'd uh, maybe outline one or two other issues for us uh, that uh, people could decide on whether to support you in your campaign to take a seat in the European Parliament. Yeah, we want to basically we want to put pressure on the on the European Union institutions. We believe that the European Union has, has been is very undemocratic that it has unelected representatives imposing austerity upon the Irish people. I want to drive forward change and be a voice for the people rather than for the corporations within the European institutions and to make sure that we can bring forward positive measures to tackle uh, gender equality, to tackle um, homelessness and healthcare and to make sure that we have uh, a new vision for Europe and the kind of Europe that puts people first and puts people before profit. Okay, we'll leave it there and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, We hope to speak to you again before the 24th of May. That's uh, Cyril Brennan, People Before Profit candidate in the European Parliament elections for the Midlands North West constituency. Michael on LMFM. On the 24th of May, you'll be asked to vote in the local and European elections as well as a referendum on divorce. Our local election pre-election coverage will feature debates with candidates from each of the local areas every day in the run-up to polling day. We hope to speak to as many local election candidates as possible. The larger political parties are selecting which candidates to put forward or are asking LMFM to 
pick candidates by holding draws while independents and others are being selected to participate through draws. Today we'll hear from four candidates in the Drogheda urban electoral area, each of whom will hope to take one of the six available seats. After the after the break we'll debate the issues with Pio Smith of the Labour Party, James Byrne of Fianna Fáil, Joanna Byrne of Sinn Féin and independent candidate Paddy McQuillan. Michael Reed on LMFM. Our pre-election local election debate today in the Drogheda urban area. Pio Smith of Labour, James Byrne of Fianna Fáil, Joanna Byrne of Sinn Féin and Independent Paddy McQuillan. You're all very welcome to the studio. James Byrne, uh, I think you're uh, the only first-time candidate with us uh, today. Uh, Why have you decided to stand in the local elections? Well, Michael, um, I've thought long and hard about it and I have... Four good reasons. Uh, first of all, obviously, politics runs through in the family. Um, I've certainly been inspired by my father's service to the council over the years and my brother Thomas at national level. And I've been involved in politics myself over the years, uh, working at various levels in the Fianna Fáil organisation locally uh, and heading it up for a number of years in South Loud. But through my teaching, I understand... Uh, the issues. I work with young people daily. Um, I'm meeting with parents. I'm I'm hearing the issues constantly. I live and work in the heart of the community. Also, a combination of my chartered accounting uh, profession and my teaching, um, I think of an ability to forensically examine numbers, to extract value for money, and certainly that's something I would be looking to do on behalf of the people of Drogheda in terms of the, the budgets. Okay. Paddy McQuillan, uh, you have stood in the elections before. In fact, uh, you were a Sinn Féin councillor once upon a time ago. Once upon a time, yes. What happened? Uh, well, I wasn't chosen to run in the last election by Sinn Féin, so um, I had... Uh, Did you fall out with Sinn Féin? <coughs> uh, well, no. No, mm-hmm. there's no point in being with a party that doesn't want you to run in elections. So I decided to leave the party and take a break. Mm. And then people were talking to me and saying to me that maybe... Does the space there for me? I should run. Then all the work I've done in the community. I've been working in the community now for over 20 years. So I had a good chat with my wife, obviously. And uh, we talked to people, community groups around town. And we said we'd give it a go. Mm. Maybe offer an alternative to the parties. Mm. So I put What's the Paddy McQuillan alternative to Sinn Féin? Well, the Paddy McQuillan alternative to Sinn Féin is that the problem, the fundamental problem with local politics I see and I've seen it first hand is that the parties don't really work together enough uh, what you have is they don't work with them and he's mm. work with her and whereas if I'm elected I can work with all the parties mm. uh, like if it's if it's good for draw it should be good for all of them all mm. the elected representatives so in other words you're saying vote for Paddy McQuillan and Paddy McQuillan will do the right thing vote for Joanna Byrne and Joanna Byrne will do what Sinn Féin tells her to do well no the party there is a party line yeah Mm. You know that. It's politics. There's party lines. People have to follow party lines. Whereas an individual, I have no party line. I can just do do my thing and help people as best I can. Mm. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. And they say that the party line is strongest in Sinn Féin above all parties, is it not, Joanna Byrne? Um, well, our party policy is decided by our members. <coughs> um, that's a yearly process at our Ardesh every year, and it's open to any Cummins and Corlecanter structures to submit motions to the Ardesh and put it in front of your party membership for endorsement. Once it does... Yeah, that is your party policy and, and we work with that. But I don't think it's a bad thing um, to leave this open to the membership. It allows for diversity. It allows for inclusion of our membership um, in deciding our party policy and in, in putting our mandate mm. out there to the people. So This is your first time actually to stand for election. This is my first election, yeah. I was yeah, co-opted yeah, in yeah, yeah. March 2016. Although you're a sitting councillor, you haven't to replace Imelda. Yeah, yeah, so the election yeah, process yeah, for yeah. me is, is new also. Yeah, how do you feel about that? Um, it's 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 daunting. I, mm. I'll not lie about it. Um, getting a great response in the doors. I think the work I've done in the three years I've been there, I hope will stand to me. Um, seeing the posters and different things mm. like that now is it, a little unnerving, but it's part of the process. Mm. And just have to get on with it and focus on the task in hand and, and go from okay. there. Pio Smith, when were you first elected? 2014. Right. Uh, I was co-opted for Jed in 2011, just similar to Joanna, mm, for yeah. three years before that, and this is the second election I'm running mm. in now. Yeah, and a lot of change in the last eight years. A lot of change, but... Mm. Uh, I mean, there was a borough council back then for a start. There was a borough council back then, uh, with local authority powers, uh, but also the dereliction in Narrow West Street existed under mm. the borough council, and uh, the change that needs to take place is in relation to the chief executive and, and, and the executive powers, uh, because... We can elect 29 councillors to Loud County Council, but at the end of the day, their power is actually very limited in regards to what can what they can do mm. uh, and what change they can bring about. Uh, and that's a significant challenge. And you know, Paddy's right. And I, I think mainly over the last couple of years, I, I've seen a change in the council in terms of councillors working together uh, for the good of the county and for the good of the town as well. Like, you know. Mm. OK, well, uh, Drata, obviously, in the eye of a... a national storm of sorts in that it is uh, very much uh, the focus of uh, national media and uh, it's all for the wrong reasons. Uh, I think each of you are looking to make Drada a better town and I think that's a, a message that uh, was repeated over and uh, again on Saturday uh, but there's uh, some other work to do first. Uh, Paddy, you uh, organised uh, the rally on Saturday as uh, people will know together with Alice Duff. Uh, I believe there were some of the gang members uh, in attendance. I wasn't. I wasn't sure of that. Now, mm. tell you the truth. Now, I, that's the first I've heard of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, 
Would you be surprised if uh, you heard there was a, a smell of weed on the street? Pierre no, Smith? to be honest with you, mm. it wouldn't be. Uh, During the rally. No. It, se- it seemed the most ironic thing. Yeah, I, you know? It wouldn't surprise me because, mm. I mean, we, t- we spoke before about mm. how weed is very normalised in society now. Uh, and, you know, the average age for an individual force experience in weed is 13 years of age. Mm. So it's becoming very normalised. Uh, the harmful effects of weed is not as prevalent in people's minds as the pleasurable effects. And that's often what captures people. So uh, there's an education programme around that aspect mm. of it as well. But yeah, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. But when the people of Drogheda came out uh, to talk about uh, what has been a consequence of drug dealing in the town, uh, people openly taking drugs in Drogheda, does that come as a, a surprise to you, Jason? James. Oh, James, I, I beg your yes. pardon. Oh, James. Well, mm. I certainly mm. didn't notice it, uh, mm. Michael, myself. Um, I mean, it is disappointing to hear that. But look, Saturday was a very positive experience. Congratulate Paddy for, mm. for organising it. Um, there was certainly a positive uh, message, uh, a message of solidarity, um, you know, that the people of Drogheda will stand together and, and you know, fight this. And... Uh, Certainly, if elected, I will work with other councillors, organisations, and in Garda Síochána locally to do our bit on behalf mm. of the people. Okay, uh, and I suppose uh, nobody's going to argue with that, and everybody, uh, I think, at least everybody who's standing for election uh, would hope uh, that uh, this would change uh, to some degree. What do you think of uh, the turnout on Saturday, Joanna Byrne? Yeah, I, th- I thought there was a mm. decent enough turnout. I think the timing of the day and the fact that it was a bank holiday weekend, mm. you probably would have got a lot of people who was on their way out for the mm. evening or coming home from their, their duties on the town. It was symbolic. It was an opportunity for the community to stand together. And I think that was important. Um things like that are unpredictable you never know when you're going to get a crowd or, or mm. you don't no matter how much work you put into it no oh, matter who's yeah. speaking yeah. at it but yeah. it, it was certainly a positive yeah. a positive event well, it certainly was and it was a very uh, united message that absolutely came from people. Uh, people were saying the same thing yeah, over ev- and over everybody again. was yeah. saying the mm-hmm. same thing mm-hmm. and I actually had something in my head I, w- I was speaking at the event Paddy mm. had asked me to speak to say and the few speakers who got up in front of me actually said so I tried mm. to d- diverse off that a little and and reiterate the, the community the civic spirit and and, and that's something Drata has always been very proud of and it's something that no events like what's been going on in the town should ever take away from mm. from um the community spirit of the town I think the arts festival over the weekend following on from that was a prime example that mm. that the town what the town can do and the potential that we have, you know, when we Mm -hmm. work together. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Paddy, uh, do you think that some people were afraid to attend? Absolutely. Mm. They told me that, you know, Mm. the people openly said they were afraid to come down, but the people who did come down, hopefully they got some sense of empowerment from it, you know. I think we spoke with just earlier, you know. Um, Like, people are saying somebody should do something about this, you know. So when they stood together on the steps of St Peter's, they were doing something about it. So people maybe felt like they were actually making a stand they were mm. and doing something about this problem that we have in the town mm. that the mm. Gardaí will fix. Yeah, well, they've got their work cut out for them. And sure, uh, yeah. I think the chief superintendent made that clear. He's saying that there's around 40 or 50 individuals on both sides of this. So you're talking around 80, 80 to 100 yeah. people who either change their behaviour or are taken off uh, the streets if <coughs> this is to yeah. come to an end. Yeah, well, well they're right. You know, it's a it's a big problem. Mm. But uh, if you look at what happened in the past, like let's say in Limerick or in a city, I'm not saying mm. the situation here is as bad as that. But there must be a template that they used in them situations. 
So maybe they can tweak that template to the draw the situation mm. and use that to combat it. Um, I think Thursday night's um, uh, public joint policing committee meeting mm. will be very important, you know, especially with the public being asked to attend that. They can add our views straight to the to the guardie. I, I'm not too sure whether the, the commission is going to make it or not. He's obviously a very busy man. But this is the chance for the people to add a views, you know, and mm. ask the guy exactly how they're going to combat this. And, and Peter, you were talking about problems like this in areas of deprivation or where uh, there's high levels of poverty. Why is that the case? Well, what's happening in Jordan now just didn't happen in the last 12 months. It's been happening for the last 15 years, probably a little bit longer. And uh, I think successive governments have turned a blind eye to the fact that there are certain parts of our community where uh, people opt out of civilised society for want of a better expression mm. and young people in particular can, uh, around 12, 13, 14 uh, who teachers can identify are not turning off for school on a regular basis mm. there is no intervention there in those families to be able to give the supports that are necessary uh, people who are involved in, in, in gangs are very clever at, at identifying and spotting these young individuals and using them then for their own purposes mm. what happens then over a period of time is if you take a 12 or 13 year old who for six years after that is involved in low-level crime, they can graduate then into serious crime. And then the difficulty is reversing that back. And that's very, very difficult. So mm. the key is getting in early. Uh, and certainly in certain disadvantaged areas, people feel that they have no hope of progressing. They have uh, no options in terms of education. Uh, the family support structures are weak. Uh, and certainly intervention and interventions from the state uh, mm. don't exist. James, you're a teacher. Yes, uh, can you look at a, a classroom of children and identify where there may be problems or not? Look, Michael, I work in the Sacred Heart Schools. It's a wonderful school. Um, I mean, there are problems in households, mm. sure. But the, the real issue here I see is the lack of engagement between the authorities and the communities. And I'm delighted that there is a public joint policing committee meeting next Thursday night but there needs to be more of that. Like mm. The local draw the policing form, I believe, met once, maybe twice in 2018, the entire year, without any public participation. And that's certainly something that I would be proposing. There's no reason why we couldn't meet on a more regular basis and invite residents of the various estates to participate in that because they feel abandoned, they feel mm. hopeless. But if P.O. is right in saying that this isn't something that happened overnight, it's going on for 10, 11 years or whatever the case may be, well, surely we need to look to 10 or 11 years from now or 20 or 50 years from now uh, and at our young people. And rather than a policing response on its own, to take a look at how we shape young people if we can influence them. Yeah, and we need to support and resource local organisations, voluntary groups uh, to uh, bring about that change. Um, certainly just from my own experience just so sad for example is an organisation mm. that provides fantastic uh, services here locally but they're struggling to cope struggling to keep the doors open and um, they're seriously underfunded and I'm sure it's the same with other voluntary organisations so the council has a responsibility to support those mm. and it will take funding uh, and when we look at some of the sad cases uh, who may be sleeping in doorways or somewhere 
else that they can find a, a roof over their head, as uh, the case may be. Quite often, uh, drugs are involved. Uh, quite often, it's mental health problems, or sometimes it's both. Uh, and it really is a societal question rather than just a, a policing question, is it not, Joanna Burns? Absolutely, 100% mm. agree with you. It's a multitude of, of all the, the issues you've mentioned, and that's something I've been extremely passionate about since Commander Council was our homeless facilities or the lack of mm. our homeless facilities. And um, I do believe we've got adequate facilities for situations where people are entering homelessness through losing their homes, through breakup of marriages and, and whatnot. I don't believe for a second that we've got adequate facilities to cater for those suffering with addictions. And I've been on your show mm. previously mm. speaking about that and it's something I've been calling for and it's something I'll continue to, to push. Um, I think they come hand in hand, addictions, crime, homelessness. And there's an el- there's, there's an element of, um, you know, well, you've Some, been calling for a, a wet homeless. Yeah, I, I don't like that term, but but yes, effectively, we have mm. we have a dry facility in the yeah. town, and they do the, the homeless well, you're phenomenal about, work. You're talking about somewhere that will give somebody a, a bed for the night, whether they've been drinking or taking drugs yeah, or whatever. Absolutely, that and at the minute we don't have that in the mm. town. We do have the Simon in Dundalk, and but there's a lot there's a lot of these people who who suffer with these issues who have a fear mm. of going to Dundalk. There is this strata mm. Dundalk gap this void this line in the middle and regardless of how desperate they may be they don't want to go to Dundalk where they know nobody no. they're the outsider they're in a, a place where a lot of people may be drinking or may be taking illegal no. substances and all of a sudden this one person on their own becomes no. a target and it happens and it, the radio station actually only a couple of days ago uh, ran with an article of a gentleman that I've dealt with before who got stabbed um, sleeping rough down the park and, and was thrown in the river. That's the second time that's happened that man since Christmas. Mm. And at the end of the day, he's got nowhere to go. He he he, he has issues, so he doesn't fit the criteria to, mm. to, to gain access to the facilities we have in the town. And it's a crying shame. It's a crying shame. Mm. And we should all be responsible for this and we should all be working on this together and I don't think there's enough being said about it, I don't think there's enough been done about it and I certainly don't think there's enough awareness of it because it's a growing problem, it's a growing problem Well there's a a fear in Drogheda about the danger that is posed because of what's been making the news recently and that people might get a bullet in their head but lives are being lost in different ways Lives are being lost anyway, from drug overdoses and and people are becoming targets irrespective of being involved with gangs and feuds, they're targets simply mm. by sleeping in a doorway, sleeping on a park bench, mm. sleeping in a tent. These people are vulnerable and these are the people that we should be focusing on. And we were speaking with the Mental Health Commission uh, a little bit earlier on about an inspection report into the Department of Psychiatry in uh, Drogheda and uh, just a, a number of weeks ago we heard from the mother of a, a son who had deceased. He died by suicide mm. after trying to uh, attend uh, on two days in a row but because uh, there was traces of benzos in his system they wouldn't see him. I mean this sort of thing is not recognising the reality of the world we live in today is it Pio? No, I, I, like I've been down there with a number of people uh, over the last couple of years and, and exactly the same thing has happened. Just with the grace of God, those individuals didn't actually uh, uh, kill themselves. And I remember being one individual who had marks on his neck and uh, and they were told to go away, go home. Uh, you have traces of uh, different drugs in your system. And then the whole idea is uh, get, get sort yourself out in terms of your drug problem, then come back and sort your mental health problem out. Yeah. 
just doesn't work. I mean, in, in America, they've got dual diagnosis. In other places, they've got dual diagnosis and they're able to facilitate people who come in and present in a similar situation. Mm. does not exist in Ireland. Let's uh, talk uh, about uh, something that people might look forward to. Any big ideas, Paddy McQuillan? Well, positive ones. Positive <laughs> ideas. Uh, well, yeah, few, uh, how to make Drogheda great again. <laughs> yeah. Well, the main one, apart from obviously the, the problems we're facing at the moment around the doors, is the council. Getting the borough council back to Drogheda. That's going to be a very big ask. Um, people just feel alienated. People in Drogheda feel alienated now that everything has moved to Dundalk. Mm. Um, there's always been this Drogheda Dundalk thing, you know, mm. that's been on years long before the, the Borough Council ever went away. Right, but, yeah, yeah. but people do yeah. feel alienated. And yeah. an example of that would be like on the 21st of February, I sent an email to Laird County Council uh, regarding the junction at the bottom of the road here at the Ratmullen Road mm. coming onto the Bridge of Peace, asking what was going to be done about that is or if anything is going to be done with that. So on the 18th of April, I got a reply. And the reply said, the junction will be upgraded as part of a development. I don't have a date, but it could be soon or it could be a couple of years away. <laughs> okay. Now, that's mm. a hell of a response there, you know mm. what I mean? So if people are going to be trying to get in touch with the council, and I mean the council, I mean Dundalk, mm. and they get responses like that, they're going to feel alienated. And that's, that's the reality of the situation. Now, from that email, it tells me two things, right? One, that that person doesn't know that junction. So, you know, but where everybody in Drogheda knows that junction, even the dogs in the street know, so he doesn't know it. And secondly, it's kind of unacceptable, the answer mm, that I received okay. there, in fairness. So I think the big thing is trying to get the council back. How do we get it back? Well, we're going to need cross-party support now. All mm. the councils pulling together, just like they were on Saturday. Well, ironically, there's a way of doing it because uh, the no. Labour Party have a, a, a bill to undo what they did in the first case. Well, as well, good. Through to well say. that's yeah, good. Yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. a main thing because if, mm. if people don't, if we can't make our own decisions, mm. people are always going to feel alienated. Joanna Byrne, uh, any positive big ideas for Drogheda? Um, yeah, look, I think everybody's on the same page when we're talking about the return of the the borough powers and, mm. and the town taking back control. City status will go a long way mm. um, into into buying into that. And I would be of the view that we need we need we need to control our own town ourselves. We need a, a borough council that takes in the whole urban area, including the areas we've lost into the draw the rural, the new area, East Mead, um, the, the boundaries there, and so that everybody who lives in Drogheda mm. can can avail of services in Drogheda. There's people who live across the road here who have to avail of services from Navan. Mm. Um, it's 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 farcical to be straight with you. And, and Drogheda has suffered. Yeah. <laughs> Drogheda has suffered massively, I think, as um, as a result of two things: of losing our our, our control of our borough and of the boundary changes. I don't think it served any purpose. And we did, as a team, Sinn Féin did um, make submissions to the National Planning Framework Mm. and the RSES, um, citing the same, that we want the borough status returned. We want to control ourselves, whether I'm there or whether I'm not. Mm. I do believe it's the best thing for Drogheda, and that's something that we will be working on um, with all concerned. Okay. I suppose the reason I'm asking the question uh, is... Uh, because on Saturday, I really got the impression from people, whether they were speaking from uh, the podium or I was speaking to them on the street, uh, normal people going about their business, they really were looking for something to 
look forward to something positive uh, and a lot of people spoke about the FLA yeah. a lot of people spoke <coughs> about city status and love Drogheda and all was, these other things there was fear instilled in people as well over the last couple of weeks with some nonsensical media reporting and it's not from here and that's not what I'm getting at but um, you know Drogheda being the, the second roughest city in the world the most dangerous city in the world that that was based on it was based on a, sur- a survey and it was factual, but I don't think it, you could go out and do a survey out in the road mm. and 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 write an article on the results of that. But that fear was instilled in people that hang on a minute, Drogheda is up there, and, and there's many cities in this world that is more dangerous than Drogheda. I do believe that, although we are suffering some horrific attacks and stuff at the minute, um, th- there were this fear. I think. It's been it's been fueled into the town and it, and it's wrong, and that's why a lot of people on Saturday would have tried to reiterate mm. what the FLA had done for the town last year. And there was even mm. reports of the FLA being cancelled, which it was never going to happen. It couldn't happen. Event licenses, alcohol bylaws. Mm. There was so many so much red tape around there that that couldn't happen. But I think that was probably the message that a lot of people was trying to instill back in in the community's minds. Yeah. We have a lot to look forward to. We're mm. sitting on one of the most historic towns in this country now it's it's mm-hmm. it's undervalued in its potential for what we have but the heritage mm-hmm. that we are sitting on we've so many um, tourist features and the flat was just the platform to showcase okay. that last year and i think Burn. we'll do the same again yeah. this yeah. year well, well look there was an electric atmosphere mm-hmm. across the town over the weekend and credit to the organizers of the dread arts festival uh like the, the draw to 10k for example on sunday which i participated in just mm-hmm. amazing the, the number of people across Drogheda, the, the positive atmosphere, it did remind me of the Flack Hill uh, last year, the St Dominic's Park yesterday. I mean, you could hear that right across the town. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot to be positive about uh, in relation to Drogheda. Just in terms of big ideas, of course we need the powers of the Borough Council restored. And at the national level, Fianna Fáil certainly has a bill ready to go uh, to bring those powers back to towns and boroughs uh, above 7,500 population. In terms of what I can do if elected as a councillor, look, I see myself as a practical, logical thinker. And this issue with Drogheda crossing into County Meath, it's very simple. The Borough Council and the councillors of the Late Town Bettystown Municipal District sit down and meet. They need to do that. I mean, this was a recommendation of the Boundary Commission report over two years ago, and I cannot understand why that hasn't happened yet. It's very simple. Okay. And talk about issues that affect states and areas that, that straddle the county lines. You know, Rosevale, you know, that there's trees there that need to be looked at. And I couldn't tell you many trees are in Maiden and many trees are in Lake. <laughs> you know, the, the, we yeah. need a footpath mm-hmm. at Riverbank and the Highlands to, you know, allow people to walk down towards the boardwalk. Like simple things like that need to be looked at. Um, since I started campaigning, I actually became aware of the fact that Loud County Council actually looks after the entire Bryanstown estate, even though 40% of it's in Meath. I was just thinking, that's the way it should be. And there are sort of practical measures that I would love to implement if elected on the 24th of May. Okay. Peter Smith? Well, we hear a lot of talk about bringing the, the town councils back, and I would mm. like to see them back, but I want to see them back with certain powers, because let's, let's remember this. 
the, the place that Paddy's talking about down at the Bridge of Peace, that existed under the Town Council and nothing was done about it. Narrow Westry existed under, under the Town Council and nothing was done about it. Mm. So just having a Town Council back in itself doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be any significant change. So the, the powers that councillors have is going to have to change in order then for change to come about in that regard. In terms of big ideas, well, I think Joanne is right. We need to market Drada as a tourist heritage town because we're sitting on a gold mine here <clears throat> and we need to market it properly. As distinct from Ireland's ancient east, our county council, we have to make it a, a, a green town because climate change is definitely happening and we have to play a part in that as, as regards the, the council. Uh, and so looking at different aspects then of policy going forward, mm. uh, how do we actually reduce our carbon foot- footprint? How do we reduce the number of cars coming into the town centre? Uh, developing tourist trails, blue trails, uh, from the mouth of the Boyne to the source of the Boyne, for example, like I've done in other counties. We have to have a very distinct tourist attraction to make people stick. We need to develop a heritage quarter in the town where people will come in and spend time, mm. spend money, enjoy the experience, and then spread water around the draw. as a good place to visit. Okay. Well, maybe you'd wrap up by expanding on that uh, because the flowers to come to Drogheda in August. What about August 2020? P.O. Smith. Well, this is another part of what we have to do. <clears throat> we have to develop a calendar of festivals for Drogheda. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, for example, we've got fantastic choirs. We've got a classical music series that takes place from September to March every year. We could look at extending that from March to September as well. Would uh, that bring in the same number of people? Well, I think it's a combination of things over mm. a period of time okay. uh, that will lead even into Christmas. So I'm working with a group at the minute that's looking at developing a Christmas market over a four-day period leading into Christmas. So what we have to do is create a whole new experience for the town centre that runs for a set period of time mm. so that people are going to come in on a regular basis, townspeople, and also visitors as well. You wouldn't favour getting all of the discretionary spending that's available to councillors, putting it together and uh, maybe adding to that somehow and uh, bringing... An event on the same scale as the flat order. I think there's two things here. We as councillors could actually look at doing that, number one. Number two, we could look at ring fence and some of the pay parking for Drada. <clears throat> we could add that together to the bids uh, proposal and we could have possibly near enough, I'd say, but €700,000 to spend in this town every year going forward for five years. Okay. And I'd say with that type of money, we could create something special in Drada. All right, James Byrne, what would you do with the €700,000 to replace the flat? Or would you be able to come up with more than that? Well, look, I think we need to sit down and look at what the options are, whether it's one large festival a year or whether it's supporting a number of festivals throughout the year. I know uh, there was a trad festival organised uh, last November and that could be something that could be our legacy, you know, from from the flat 2018-2019. So I suppose it's something we need to sit down together, you know, whoever's elected uh, to discuss that and, and bring proposals forward. OK, Joanna Byrne? I, um, I'd be the devil's advocate here. I don't think you would bring the numbers that come for the FLA, um, no matter how much money mm. you pulled into trying to organise a, a similar event or even a different event. The FLA is well-renowned nationwide and it, it brings a cohort of followers no matter where it goes. But we have established um, festivals in the past that could be uh, developed, the, the Samba Festival, which is, no longer exists. That was a great thing years ago when I was a teenager even. That's how far back that was going the Maritime Festival. Um, there's there's many different events mm. like that and we could perhaps look at um, hosting them in different events like like the Cultural Quarter of Millmount. Um, you know, up the, the music at the gate was a phenomenal thing last year. I, I don't know if that's continuing this year, but there's certainly the foundations laid uh, along okay. loads of different areas of the <coughs> town that could be looked at. All right, and we'll uh, conclude today with Paddy McQuillan. 
Well, yeah, Toronto's always been a very mm-hmm. famous town for music, has been ever since I was a young man. Um, festival is definitely on the cards. I think after the flower kill last year, the success, for, and the success is going to be this year. There's, there's a want now. Mm. People have a taste for it now, and they want something. So I think it's up to everybody in the town to try and do bring something to the town. I know one of my pledges is to bring a music festival to the town, but we have to scale it across across the board. It has to be for young and old. You know, we, uh, Trad mm. Fest is fantastic, but not everybody's into Trad music, so mm. we have to work with different sectors of the community to see what we can get. Together. All right, listen, thanks to each of you for coming in to us uh, today and uh, for joining us. Uh, we were speaking with Pio Smith of uh, the Labour Party, James Byrne of Fianna Fáil, Joanna Byrne of Sinn Féin, and independent candidate Paddy McQuillan. Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages uh, that have been coming to us uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and to everybody listening in. We'll kick it off with your interview at the top of the programme in relation to the broadband. Some mm. comment on that. A texter says regarding rural broadband, why does not government sub- subcontract in zero to work alongside the ESB and roll out fibre? Uh, via the electrical network. SIRA already have an excellent track record of this work in urban towns across the country. Giving the contract to a company that doesn't have a proven record makes no sense and could be asking for trouble. Okay, well, it seems as though we're going to uh, roll out uh, the plan as was originally envisaged and uh, it'll be at a cost of €3 billion. Betty says, I'm in Malahide, Michael, and our broadband is very, very slow. Plus, we have to go outside to use our mobile phone. So Mm. there you go. It's not just in rural areas that people are having a problem. Tom says, live between Drogheda and Denor Village and haven't been able to get broadband that works, Michael. It's crazy in this day and age. Sounds like another M50 toll. Then get our brainless government to pay extra money if people don't use the broadband. What Mm. a joke, says another listener. Matthew is wondering if Timmy Dooley has confidence in Fine Gael. Uh, just a question there. Michael, uh, isn't Mairead from Drogheda, is it not a bit ironic that you have Fianna Fáil criticising Fine Gael when after all it's Fianna Fáil who are keeping Fine Gael in government so why keep criticising them? Fianna Fáil say that they couldn't force an election while we were counting down to Brexit but now Brexit has been delayed. Why are they not pushing for an election now? Okay. She well, she's we'll, wondering. We'll, we'll take that as a comment right? Okay. <laughs> as a question. Callum, yeah. <laughs> uh, Callum says that there needs to be broadband operating in every nook and cranny in Ireland because businesses cannot operate nowadays unless they have broadband. And he says they're talking about rolling it out, Michael, mm. but how long is that going to take before it actually happens? Yeah, well, that's a big question. On the local election debates, we have had some comments in. Uh, Jim from Drogheda says, will it make any difference what candidates we have if Drogheda is not in control of its own destiny? Since the Drogheda Borough Council was scrapped, we seem to have lost our power to govern locally. Okay, well, a lot of the candidates uh, seem to agree with that. Patricia via Facebook says, it would be great if Drogheda Borough Council came back to Drogheda. Another listener texted, the fact that it was said that weed is socially acceptable is ridiculous. It's not legalised and it supports drug dealers. A lot of this trouble is because of weed. All you have to do is walk into a number of pubs in this town and all they do is smoke weed out the back. Wow, okay. Mm. Says the listener. Mm. Um, on the, just st- sticking with 
uh, crime. We had a comment in relation to the interview with the Chief Superintendent last week. Eileen from Drogheda was listening in and she says that she thought that uh, the Chief Superintendent was very frank on your show in his interview and she felt he made some very good points. He, more than anybody else, Michael, must be so relieved that he has been given the resources to do his job Mm. and to target the criminals. It's not always an easy job being a Garda in Ireland today, but the Gardaí deserve and need the support of the public. Otherwise, there will be no law and order anywhere, not just in Drogheda. Okay, uh, well, it's a a significant uh, amount of uh, additional Gardaí, 25 new Gardaí for the town, uh, as well as uh, the deployment of uh, the emergency response unit uh, and as to whether it will make a difference or over what time frame it might make a difference, only time will tell. Some reaction also to your interview with Junior Minister Jamie English last week in oh, relation yeah. to housing. Mm. Grania says, of course, uh, Minister English is going to defend his government. He's talking about solutions, but clearly the solutions the government is coming up with is not working, Michael, because as we see from the stats, more and more people are becoming homeless. Mairead from Drogheda wonders, what is Mr English doing for those in rented accommodation but are having to leave and look elsewhere that they cannot find anywhere else because the prices are skyrocketing all the time. There are many people who are not on HAP, that's the housing assistant payment, Mm. and cannot afford the rent. They have no help at all. John from Eastmead doesn't know whether any other party could do better than Fine Gael regarding the provision of housing. The fact is there was no housing built for years. We cannot forget that. And this has led to the undersupply of housing and the current crisis don't understand how any government could have thought they could just stop building local authority houses and then there wouldn't be this crisis. Mm. John from Navin phoned in, he was listening to Damien English and he says he went for a drive with his son who was trying to buy a house over the weekend, so it would have been last weekend. He says, we, we, we live in the Navin area but we went to Shockton and Rathholt and Ashburn and he says there's houses being built everywhere. Uh, I'm on the opinion now that it used to be said long ago about the plains of Meath, all the green fields. In a few years' time, it will be the housing estates of Meath. The country has been, the county has been built over, and that is a fact. Anyone who says that there is no houses being built, hmm. I don't know where they are living. Okay, yeah, well, <laughs> you can't win, can you? No. Either not enough housing or too much housing. Uh, but I, I think uh, there is uh, broad agreement that, that uh, the supply is not meeting the demand. Jimmy from Navin says that Fine Gael danced in the streets when they got abortion into Ireland, but they won't be dancing on the streets anytime soon in relation to the housing and homeless crisis because they don't seem to be able to solve it. Right. Not sure what the connection is between the two issues, but okay. Well, that was just mm-hmm. that was just mm-hmm. his point. Um, just moving away from that altogether, and a topic we've covered regularly on the show about rubbish in the countryside. Jim from Navan was in touch to say that he's just wondering: Will we can we will we ever be able to do anything about those who dump rubbish in the countryside, Michael? He feels they're contributing to the downfall of our wildlife as well as being a blight on the landscape and he feels that they've no respect for future generations shame on them but it just seems to be a losing battle Absolutely, yeah well we can only agree with that So we'll finish on that one, Michael. Thanks for that, Marie. And thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850 715 958. 
Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Tara McManus of Drogheda Station joins us for this week's report. And we begin in Navin, where Garda are investigating a burglary. Good morning, Michael. Um, we started one that happened um, at a cottage there in the Commons Road, uh, Navin, last Tuesday. Um, at about that was the thirtieth of April at about half four in the afternoon, um, a little cottage there was ransacked and broken into, um, a back bedroom, um, that's where the access was gained, and a small sum of money taken. But because it was in the afternoon, we're hoping perhaps, um, somebody may have noticed something. The kids were back to school at that stage, and perhaps uh, somebody around the Commons Road may have noticed that. Uh, the Guardian Navin would like your help if you did. Okay, and we've uh, another burglary to report on. Uh, this happened in Dundalk. Yeah, this one happened again on Tuesday the 30th of April at about 8 o'clock in the evening um, in a house there at Ard Esmond Estate in Dundalk. Um, now this one is, is quite nasty. Um, a male was home alone when two other men broke into the house, entered the bedroom and um, basically he was threatened to hand over money. Uh, when he said that he didn't have any money, he was actually tied up in the house and when he was tied up the, the culprits continued to, to ransack the house uh, before they left. Now he managed to free himself and to call the guards. Um, but this is a very, very nasty incident and we really would like to speak to anybody who was around the Ardesmond uh, area of Dundalk and that was last Tuesday evening, 30th of April at about 8 o'clock in the evening. OK, and uh, not a, a unique incident either. We've had a, a number of similar incidents mm. in recent weeks as to whether they're connected or, or, or not, I suppose, is a question that people are perhaps asking themselves. Let's go to Drogheda, though, where Gardaí are investigating a robbery. This occurred on cross lanes. Yeah, this one happened at the pharmacy there in cross lanes um, and this was last Wednesday the 1st of May um, about half five in the evening um, and I'm sure most of your listeners are probably aware of this particular instant where a man entered the store and, and he produced a knife and basically demanded money uh, from the counter um, now he was handed over some uh, a significant amount of cash um, now we don't have any decent um description of him other than he had a hood and it was covering his face and then we believe he fled on foot from the store and he hopped onto a bike which was left outside and um, so the Gardaí and Drogheda would really be keen to speak again you know Wednesday the first of May half five in the evening very very busy time uh, so these lads are getting far more brazen and confident and um, but we really would be keen to speak to anybody who has any information on that one. Terribly frightening, frightening, mm. no doubt, mm. uh, for the staff. Uh, to Dundalk, uh, another aggravated burglary. Uh, this happened last Thursday. Yeah, this one happened at Beach Mount Drive in Cox's Domain in Dundalk. Uh, Thursday, the 2nd of May, at about half 12 in the afternoon. Um fellow was in his house, basically cleaning and... Um, a uh, fella entered the house wearing a black tracksuit. Two men, sorry, one wearing a black tracksuit, the other was wearing a grey and a white hoodie, both wearing gloves and scarves around their faces. Um, the injured party was punched a number of times into the head, knocked to the ground, and then they demanded money. He didn't have any money, um, and they threatened actually to set him on fire. So again, hugely um, frightening incident. And this one happened um, at Beach Mount Drive, Cox's Domain, last Thursday. Again, busy time of the day, half twelve in the afternoon, you know, preschoolers and whatever else going home. So the Guardian Dundalk would be really keen to speak to anybody who can provide them any information on that one. Uh, another burglary. This uh, happened on Friday of last week in Ashburn. Um, 
Have we missed one there, maybe? <laughs> Becky, oh, we're sorry, sp- we're we sh- in Dulik. <laughs> I'm sorry, we should be in Dulik, uh, where Gardaí are investigating some criminal damage. My yeah, apologies. Yeah, that's all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the bookmakers yep. there on the main street in Dulik last Thursday, the 2nd of May. Uh, during the night, uh, the bookmakers was broken into and, um, again, money and different things stolen. Um, a fire actually was set in the bookmakers as well. So again, half four in the morning, probably people weren't about. But again, if anyone has any information mm. about that one, the Gardaí uh, in Dulik are looking after that one. So that would have been Wednesday night, Thursday morning type of thing. Absolutely, yeah, okay. half four yeah. at Thursday morning. Yeah. And to that, burglary in Ashburn, this occurred on Friday. Yeah, this is actually two, Michael, that are connected. Uh, two houses quite close to each other. One, um, in Ashwood and Hunter's Lane and the other one in um, Woodlands Manor in Rathote. Now we believe the same car was seen leaving both of these um, incidents. One happened on Friday the 3rd of May at half nine and the second one on Friday the 3rd of May at 10 o'clock. Now we believe in this incident that we're looking for a dark grey BMW, a 3 Series a coupe and we believe we have a partial registration of 06 LM. So um, one of the houses there was nobody in it but the other house there actually was a 15 year old boy in the house when um, three suspects enter the house uh, that's the one in the Woodlands Manor so again very very frightening instance blatant in the middle of the day on a Friday morning and we're looking for a dark grey BMW with a partial reg 06 LM uh, Another robbery in Drogheda this one on uh, the Ballymacany Road on Friday Yeah it's Ballymacany um, petrol station there in the Ballymacany Road in Drogheda Friday 3rd of May at half 10 at night um, a man entered the store with a knife threatening staff until they handed over money. Uh, no decent uh, description of our culprit but again Friday 3rd of May half 10 at night uh, a busy uh, petrol station the Ballybikenny Road anyone with information we'd ask them to contact ourselves here in Drogheda. And we'll finish in Ashburn uh, this week. Uh, another burglary to report on. This one occurred on Sunday on Hickey's Lane. Yeah, house there in Hickey's Lane in Ashburn, Sunday the 5th of May, uh, some stage during the afternoon. Uh, the owners of the house left at about quarter to two in the afternoon, came back at about seven, noticed that the back door had uh, been forced open, the house was gone through and um, a substantial amount of cash was taken and numerous piece, pieces of jewellery from that particular property. Guardian Ashburn will be keen to speak to anyone who may have information on that one. OK, Garda Tara McManus of Drogheda Garda Station, thank you very much indeed. If you have information on any of those crimes, you're asked to contact uh, the local Garda Station or the confidential line is one eight hundred treble six treble one. That's where our time runs out on us once again. Remember, there'll be a podcast of today's programme available if you would like to listen back to it on our website lmfm.ie this afternoon. Thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching and Chris Murray in the control tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie LMFM Podcasts, brought to you with Cark McCross Credit Union, where dreaming of warmer climates becomes a reality with a Cark McCross Credit Union holiday loan. O'Neill Street, Cark McCross or CarkMcCrossCU.ie. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.